Word of the Lord, Acts chapter 1 this morning. Acts chapter 1, and I told somebody just before the service that we always begin with the reading of Scripture. So if I fell over dead, the most important thing's been said already. Uh, so let's look to the Word of God this morning. Acts chapter 1, we'll begin reading with verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for allowing us to gather here today. I pray now that as we look to your word, that your name would be regarded as holy, that your people would worship you and leave here to serve you. And God, should there be one here who doesn't know you, may their heart be open that they would receive the truth of your word this morning. Be glorified in our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, those of you who haven't been here are walking in in the middle of something. Um, last week we began a consideration of the Great Commission. And we looked at Matthew chapter 28, and I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But in preparation for this series of sermons, I was reading a book called Let the Nations Be Glad. Uh, it's a good book on the supremacy of God in missions. And the author recounts an opportunity that he had back in 1992 to hear J. Oswald Sanders speak at a missions conference. And I'll just tell you what he, I'll just quote it to you. He told the story of an indigenous missionary who walked barefoot from village to village preaching the gospel in India. And after a very long day of many miles and much discouragement, he came to a certain village and tried to speak the gospel, but was spurned. So he went to the edge of the village, dejected, and lay down under a tree and slept from exhaustion. When he awoke, the whole town was gathered to hear him. And the head man of the village explained that they had looked him over while he was sleeping. That's a comforting thought. When they saw his blistered feet, they concluded that he must be a holy man and that they had been evil to reject him. They were sorry and wanted to hear the message for which he was willing to suffer so much to bring them. 
That story reminds me of what Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. He said, How shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Those blistered feet from a barefoot missionary were not a beautiful sight physically to look at, but insofar as they carried the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, those were the most beautiful feet anyone could have ever laid eyes on. Last week we did begin a study of some key New Testament passages that will help us understand this gigantic task that we have that we call the Great Commission. Jesus in Matthew 28, on the basis of His authority over all things in heaven and on earth, has called us to do what? To make disciples of all the nations. Make disciples of all the nations. That is our task. It is the task of all of God's church spread across the globe. It is the task of Simmons Grove Baptist Church. And if I may be even more specific, it is the task of every single Christian, every follower of Jesus. Hear me well, it is the task that God has assigned to you. To make disciples of all the nations. And according to what we looked at last week in Matthew 28, there are three activities that are involved in completing the Great Commission. The commandment, the commission is to make disciples... But Jesus said we do that by going, baptizing, and that assumes gospel proclamation because we don't baptize people who haven't believed, and teaching. If we want to fulfill the Great Commission, we must go, baptize, and teach. So in thinking about these three components of the Great Commission, today I just want us to consider this one component, this one idea of going. He said, therefore, go and make disciples. Jesus has called each of us to willingly go. He should not have to do any arm twisting to convince Christians, people who have believed on His name, who have been washed in His blood, had their sins forgiven, to go and take that blessing to someone else. He's called us to willingly go. We will not, in fact, we cannot fulfill the Great Commission. We cannot, we will not fulfill the Great Commission to make disciples of all the nations by doing all of our ministry in this building alone. As wonderful as our ministries are, As wonderful as our teachers and our preachers are, we will not and we cannot do all ministry. We cannot reach the nations by doing all of our ministry here. And the reason is quite simple. The nations are not here. (laughs) I don't know anyone here that doesn't speak English. And we cannot reach the nations if we sit on our pews comfortably and do all of our ministry in this place we call the house of God. So in today's passage, in verse 8, Jesus gives some instruction to His disciples about their going. And in fact, it's, it's more like information than instruction, because He doesn't say you ought to be my witnesses. He doesn't say you should be my witnesses, or I want you to be my witnesses. What does He say? He says you shall be my witnesses. 
You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What's a witness? The simple definition of witness is someone who tells the truth about what they know for certain. In the disciples' case, the thing that they knew, the thing to which they were to bear witness, was the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They had been with Him from the very beginning. They had seen His sufferings. They bore witness to His sinless life. They saw Him die, and they saw Him after He rose from the dead. And Jesus has given this commandment, this statement, really, You shall be witnesses to Me. The word witness in Greek is martus, from which we get our word martyr. Because in the Christian experience, those who have been faithful witnesses for Jesus often tell the truth to the point of their own suffering or even death. To be a witness of Jesus will cost you, but it's worth it. He says, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see that progression. Jerusalem, that's that's home. That's where the church and the work of the church began. That was the the easy and, and, and logical place to start. Then he says, to Judea. Well, that's the whole region surrounding Jerusalem. That's the area in which Jerusalem lies. He says, Samaria. Well, that's the folks just to the north who aren't quite like us. We don't really like them. We don't have a great history. And then the end of the earth, well, that's self-explanatory. That's the rest of the world. This is the progression that their mission should follow. These are the steps in their going. Now, what if Jesus had given that commandment to us? What might that sound like? If we took this and applied it to ourselves, the the progression might sound something like this. You shall be my witnesses in Surrey County. And in all North Carolina, even the United States. And to the ends of the earth. The idea is that we have been called to start here and to broaden our reach until we've reached the ends of the earth. Notice, as Russ Reeves told us just a few weeks ago, that this is not a multiple choice question. He does not say Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or the ends of the earth, but he says and. It also doesn't mean that every person in Jerusalem needed to be saved before they moved on. That's really a common reason people say uh, that they aren't involved in missions uh, either uh, in the United States or across the world as well. There's plenty of lost people right here. Why do I need to go across the globe if there's lost people right here? Well, the efforts must be constantly made according to Jesus on these multiple fronts all the time. We must be doing ministry here in Surrey County. We must be doing ministry in North Carolina, across our own country, and even to the end of the earth, all at the same time. Some of us are called to different ministries, but the church as a whole must be reaching the entire world, not neglecting these at home. Look at the context of the passage, and I'll try to be brief. Um, Three things I want you to notice about going and our going. Our going, number one, must not be hindered by distraction. Our going must not be hindered by distraction. Look at verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Him, saying, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom 
to Israel. That really is the thing they've been looking for all along. All of Jesus' ministry, they've been waiting for Him to say, Okay, I'm ready to establish my kingdom. We're driving out Rome. We're bringing prosperity back to Israel. We're going to make Israel great again. And still, after the resurrection of Jesus, they think, Surely it must be now. How often is it still, even in the church, that whenever Jesus is commanding us to do other things, we are preoccupied with the end times? When's the kingdom coming? Now, Jesus could have given them some instructions here that would have really helped us all out. He could have said, well, I'm going to turn you loose to go preach for a while and you're going to preach and things are going to get better in the world. And when, when most of the world has been evangelized and, and the world is in good shape, you'll enter this golden age and then you can usher in the kingdom and then I'll come and I'll return. And all the post-tribulationists or post-millennials would have said, yes, we knew we were right. Or he could have said... Well, the kingdom isn't actually a literal, physical kingdom on the earth. The kingdom is, is a spiritual kingdom, and I'm going to reign in the hearts of people, and then one day the end is suddenly going to come. We'll separate the sheep from the goats. We'll go straight to heaven. There is no earthly kingdom. And the amillennialists would have said, Yes, we knew it. We were right. He could have said... Well, you're going to preach the gospel and you're going to spread the word throughout the whole earth, but the world's going to get worse and worse. And then one day I'm going to come and I'm going to take my church and there's going to be a tribulation. And, and then I'm going to come in and establish the kingdom and judge the nations and make all things right. And the premillennialists would have all said, yes, we knew it. We were right. We already know we're right. We're pre oh, never mind. We won't go there. The thing is, we wouldn't have to wonder about what the end would be if Jesus had just answered their question. But Jesus didn't answer their question. What did He say? Verse 7, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. They were wanting answers about the kingdom. What's going to happen for the end? And we still ask those questions. I wonder exactly how it's going to be in the end. Whole ministries are built around Bible prophecy. But that's not where the focus needs to be, is it? If Jesus wanted us to know, He would have told us plainly, this is exactly what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. When we are frequently distracted from our mission, it's often not just by eschatology and other things, but by debates and traditions and things that are insignificant in the light of what God, God has called us to do. We read on Wednesday night from 1 Timothy, he said to avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. He told him to not give heed to fables and endless genealogies which causes disputes rather than godly edification. Rather than debating on what we really can't know perfectly and what really doesn't matter, our focus, our energy, our efforts must be put into this primary task of going and making disciples of all the nations. We can't be distracted and hindered. Number two, our going must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our going must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He said in verse 4, being assembled with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You have heard from Me. For John truly baptized with water, 
But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And it was about 10 days before Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit had been promised beforehand. You remember when John came preaching, he said, I baptize you with water, but the one that is to come, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. People made their identification with John and with his ministry by being baptized. And and surely after Jesus had risen and ascended, the apostles waited and the Holy Spirit came. And our identity with Christ is we are united with him in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have received the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised the Spirit in John, the upper room. He said, I will send you another comforter, a helper, an advocate. The Holy Spirit gives us the boldness to go. Some of us, just our own personalities. Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples of all the nations. We wouldn't do it just because we're not outgoing people. Like coming to church on Sunday is a big deal. This is really getting out for some folks. But the Holy Spirit gives us boldness to go and to do what God has called us to do. Remember Peter. Before the death of Jesus, he's confronted and he says, and the, the, the servant girl, she says, you were one who was with Jesus. And what did he do? <sighs> Never met the guy. Three times he denied Jesus to the point of cursing. Death, resurrection, ascension. Holy Spirit comes, and then who does all the preaching at Pentecost? Peter. Peter preaches, confronts them in their sin, says, You guys killed the Son of God. Repent. And 3,000 people were saved. The Holy Spirit empowered him, gave him boldness to do what God had called him to do. He couldn't do it on his own. It didn't fit his personality. But he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He does through us what we could never do on our own. He said in verse 8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You see, y'all are concerned with kingdom power. Whenever I'm going to set up my kingdom and you're going to have political power, physical power on the earth, that's not the power you need to be desiring. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work that you've been called to do. To make disciples of all the nations, to be my witnesses. All throughout church history, we've seen men and women who have attempted great things for God because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. I think of men like Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, these missionary heroes that we look up to. You think about Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and that group that went to Ecuador back in the 50s. They studied this people. They spent all this time preparing to go in and preach the gospel to these people who had never heard the gospel, never even seen a white person. And they go in, and the first day they go in, they're murdered. Killed by the very people they tried to go and reach. And then Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, she and her three-year-old daughter move in with those same people. And the people who killed her husband, she spends her life sharing the gospel with them. Reaching them with the message of Jesus. Charles Wesley, he wrote some of the hymns in our own hymn book. Early on in his Christian life, he and a friend went to the prison and wanted to share the gospel with the inmates who were going to be executed the next day. He said, can we spend the night in the cell with the men who are going to be executed tomorrow? These are men who have nothing to lose. 
They're going to die anyway. If they wanted to hurt these men wanting to share the gospel, it wouldn't have affected them in any way. But Wesley and his friends spent the night on death row sharing the gospel with these inmates and every single one of them put their trust in Jesus. And the next morning, he says, whenever the, they stood on the cart and they tied the ropes around their neck and the cart was pulled away, that none of those men struggled for their lives, but they gave up their spirits in peace to go meet the bridegroom who had saved them. The Holy Spirit empowers Christians to do that kind of work. To go to the places where no one else will go. To go to the people that no one is thinking about reaching. Our going must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And number three, our going culminates in Christ's coming. Our going culminates in Christ's coming. Verse 9, Now when He had spoken these things, while they watched, He was taken up and a cloud received Him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Oh, I don't know. The guy we've been following for three years just floated up into the clouds. Why do you think they're gazing up into heaven? They would have stood there till he come back. But they said, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now while we shouldn't be distracted with the details and the timing of Christ's return and getting into debates and arguments that are not profitable, the return of Christ should motivate us to go to make disciples, to fulfill the Great Commission. You see, the very fact that we don't know when He's coming ought to make us say, I need to go today because I might not have tomorrow. Christ could return at any moment and when He comes, I want to be found faithful. He says, I need to go and make disciples. By golly, I'm going to go today. The imminence of Christ's return gives us a sense of urgency to carry our message to the lost. Think of the lost people you know. Whether it's your neighbor, a relative, someone you work with, somebody you go to school with. Christ could return and their soul could be doomed for eternity. Will you not go to them today? May God ignite that sense of urgency in us. May we really feel the weight of that imminence that He could come at any time. But the promise of His coming also gives us confidence in our reward. It's worth it if you're killed because we have the promise that He will come and raise those who have died in Christ and take us to our eternal reward. Who cares if they laugh at you? You get to spend eternity with Jesus. Yeah, it might hurt right now. It's not fun right now. But in light of eternity, really, what does it matter? His return gives us a sense of urgency and it gives us confidence in our reward. No matter what you suffer, no matter what you go through in going to the nations, in going to your own neighborhood to reach them with the gospel, it will always be worth it to go. No Christian has ever been devoted to our Lord and obeyed Him and regretted it.
it is always worth it to go. Let me wrap up, wrap this all up. God's calling on each of our lives to go is unique. There are people that I can reach that you will never meet. There are people that each of you will meet that no one else in this room could ever reach. Each of us can reach a person or a demographic or a neighborhood that the rest of us just can't touch. You have a unique calling on your life to go. We all have our own circles of influence and we must be diligent to reach those people that the Lord has placed in our lives. It may be that some of you need to go even outside of your own circle. It's my prayer that God will raise up and call out people from this very congregation who will go and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm praying for that, and I hope you are. For some, it may be that Simmons Grove is the training grounds that the Lord will use to test your faithfulness and exercise your gifts before He calls you to a ministry elsewhere. And just an aside... If God does call people out of our church to go serve across the globe or across the county, or even people in your own family, if the Lord calls your son or your daughter to go, we have to be willing to let them go. In fact, we must enthusiastically send them with prayer and support that they can fulfill that calling God's placed on their lives. I hope and pray that the Lord will call people out of here for other works. But let me tell you what category most of us are going to fall into. Most of us are going to stay right here close to home. Some of you may have plans to move away. Some of you may have ambitions to go somewhere else. But I'll just be honest, for me, like for many of you, the calling that God has placed on my life and yours is to reach the people who are around you right now. Most of us are going to stay right here. Maybe you won't be called to a mission field. Maybe you aren't called to minister in another church or another part of the state or the country. But even if you stay right where you are for the rest of your life, the call of God on your life to go is no less imperative. No matter where you are, you are called to go and make disciples of all the nations. And guess what? Surrey County is part of all the nations. It might be on Main Street, it might be at the coffee shop, the grocery store. Some of you may need to volunteer at the Pilot Outreach Center. Some of you need to go down to the Legacy Center and see how you can help. Some of you just need to walk across the yard to your neighbor. But whatever that calling is, that unique calling that God has placed on your life, you are still called to go. And you must go. He doesn't say you should be my witnesses or you ought to be my witnesses. He said you shall be my witnesses. If you are a Christian and you are not thinking about where God has called you to go, to whom God has called you to go, 
You're no longer ignorant because you've been told. So now, to refuse that is to sin. Doesn't the Scripture say, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. God has called you to go and make disciples. You must. Wherever it is, you must go. Some of you need to leave church this morning and go in your own home. You need to start with your spouse. You need to start with your kids. You need to lead well in your home and make disciples there first. Some of you need to call up your grandchildren this week. And you know they need help in their walk with the Lord. And you need to reach out to them and be that helper, that discipler in their lives. They need to be discipled. And that's the first place you need to go. But let me say this before we pray. You're hearing me talk a lot about going, but you cannot go unless you have first come to the Lord. Perhaps there's someone here who is still living in their sin. You're living for yourself. Your goals, your ambitions, what you think is the most important thing to you. You give no thought to God. Because of your sin and your offense against God, you deserve to be punished. That's why there's a hell. God will be just on judgment day. He will not let sin slide. But He loved you. And He sent Jesus to die for you. When we go, we're reflecting when Jesus came. He said, just as the Father sent me, so also I send you. Jesus came first. And He lived a sinless life in your behalf. He died in your place, took your punishment on the cross, and then He rose from the dead, defeating death. And He says, the whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll repent, turn away from your sin and yourself, and put your trust in the Lord Jesus and in Him alone, you will be saved. And then you need to turn and go and tell others the same message. Would you stand with me as we pray? And we'll sing one last hymn together. God, thank you so much for your word and for the calling you've placed on our lives that we participate with you in this work. You could write your message in the sky. You could send angels. You could set foot on Pilot Mountain and announce yourself to the world if you wanted to. But you chose to make yourself known in the world through your people, through your church. And we are thankful to be a part of that mission. Now, God, I pray that we would be faithful in the work that you've called us to do. May we live a life that honors you, pleases you, and points others to you. May we be faithful to go and make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.